We want to save the world and we want to save ourselves. It's the same thing. The problems confronting us are enormous and at every level, personal, social, planetary. I will spare you a list. My aim is to suggest that they are all symptoms of one problem and to propose a solution. The problem, to find a way to live on earth which promotes our health and happiness, is conducive to the full development of our innate potential and at the same time is democratic. That is, available to all, not using more than our share and harmonious with the biosphere's evident drive toward increasing diversity, complexity, stability. Our world is being destroyed. In the final analysis, by an extremely misguided notion of what constitutes a successful human life, materialism is running rampant and will consume everything because its hunger will never be sated by its consumption. Human life has become a cancer on the planet, gobbling up all the flows of matter and energy, poisoning with our waste. What can stop this monster? Nothing. Just this. Walk away from it. It is time, indeed time is running out, to abandon the entire edifice of civilization, the state, the economy, and walk, don't run, to a better place, home, to paradise. These words were written by Joe Hollis, and this is the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Greetings, Voyagers, and welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 216. This one was recorded in North Carolina, and my guest was Joe Hollis. Joe lives in a wooded area of North Carolina, a bit of a ways off from the highway. He bought land there in the 70s. And over time, he's established his concept of the Paradise Garden. And he created what's known as Mountain Gardens. Joe built his own home and some other homes and dwellings and vegetable gardens, gardens that produce food, produce medicine, and produce products that can be used for utility, can be made into crafts. There are chickens there. There's a really cool dog named Buddy. It's essentially a self-sustaining garden, but one that is also aesthetically pleasing and fulfills Joe in a way that society didn't. If you listen to the words from that quick intro... <clears throat> They really embody the idea behind leaving behind consumerism and leaving behind society as it exists in its 
state of modernity today. Joe has an incredible library. Pretty much any book you could think of about growing food and plant medicines and Eastern knowledge and medicines, it's all in there. So is Henry Miller and Thomas Pynchon, Terence McKenna. And in the library are just like rows and rows of herbs and potions and tinctures. And so Joe won't give you a diagnosis, but anyone can go and you can learn and research in the library and then actually make what you need. You can self-diagnose what the problem is. And there are guides there for how to make these, these tinctures and these medicines as well. And you can go and you can do that. Joe also takes apprentices, and it's actually really important that he has apprentices because it's a big place and a lot of work has to be done. When we were there, the, just a couple days after, there was um, a forecast that there would be really heavy rains and it would actually possibly drop into the 19 degree range and then obviously you have snow. So the apprentices were working really hard to try to prepare for that. And we talked to two of them who were really lovely, Nathaniel and Kate, Kate, you might have told me your name was Katie, so I'm sorry if I, if I got that wrong. But it was really great to talk to them and to hear about their experiences at Mountain Gardens. Now, Joe doesn't talk a whole lot. <laughs> um, in talking to the apprentices, it's clear that he'll drop some real gems from time to time. But I think those gems are dropped on Joe's terms. You can't really extract those out of him. So this conversation is pretty short. And it was a bit hard to, to pull out an elaboration on his thoughts. And I, like, I quickly realized I, I didn't even really want to do that because it, it was clear that Joe isn't looking for attention. He doesn't want fame. He doesn't really want people to discover him other than people who are coming for knowledge or for help. Like I was thinking, wow, like this is the kind of guy that like Vice would do a, a piece on. So if they try... You heard him here first, but I don't, I really don't think he wants that. When we were talking to him, similar to Ron, he, he kind of looks past you as he's talking. It's, it's almost like he's not present in the conversation. He's present in the moment that he's thinking about. Maybe that sounds like too poetic and romantic, but that's what I was thinking of when, when I was talking to him really unique guy and a unique experience for us. And again, a place that the podcast has brought me and and placed me in that I may never have been without it. So I feel incredibly fortunate for these experiences and and fortunate that he invited us to come hang out and look through the library, meet Buddy, walk the grounds, see the chickens. It's an incredible place. If you follow the, the link in this in the whatever podcast application you're listening to, you'll find the website. There is a website, a bit of an outdated Instagram, but um, you know Joe was communicating with me via email, and you can contact them. There is a phone number, and you can go see it for yourself. It isn't hard to find once you know where it is, but it's truly an incredible place, almost, almost dystopian, almost utopian. Like the library, it reminded me of like, if we're in the future and and text are censored and outlawed and Joe still got them and you can go there to find the knowledge.
but utopian in the way that it's it's a return to the way that we lived in a lot of ways and maybe should in the future in a way that people are returning to now. I think I'll finish you with just a quick piece from one of Joe's essays. It's more biographical, but it says, Mountain Gardens began in 1972 when I obtained 2.8 acres of woodland in the high mountains of western North Carolina. Almost from the start, the intention has been to develop a garden which addresses the problems of our times, environmental destruction, war and economic injustice, personal distress, and dissatisfaction. Paradise Garden Theory holds that these are all manifestations at the different levels of life, planet, species, individuals, and of a single problem, that humans no longer occupy a valid niche in Gaia, the superorganism of which we are all a part. We slipped away from a valid niche with the rise of civilization, following the development of agriculture. Civilization is an upstart superorganism and, and is, in fact, an aggressive cancer within the body of Gaia. Modernity is the final stage in which all humans occupy a niche in civilization and Gaia. The living matrix is redefined as raw materials. Paradise gardening is the practice of creating, maintaining, and making a living from the development of a paradise garden. The garden where you need is there for the taking. This is proposed as a valid niche, one which increases the diversity and fertility of the garden, which does not use more than a fair share of Gaia's resources, and which promotes the health, happiness, and fullest development of the gardener. Every era and culture has attempted to realize its version of paradise, but in the run-up to full modernity, the subject has been sadly neglected, the search for paradise abandoned as the earth is trashed and human suffering increased to unbearable levels. Yet the search for the way home remains the most urgent, meaningful, and enjoyable, and enjoyable life work. This is kind of his essence. <laughs> it's a really long essay. You can find it on the website. But I hope it gives you a bit of an idea of the man that we talked to and sat down with. Please enjoy this conversation with Joe Hollis. Well, thank you for having us here. It's very kind of you to have us at your home, and it's really beautiful here. Very welcome. Did you, uh, did you grow up in North Carolina? No, I grew up in Detroit. So you grew up in Detroit? Yes. Um, so you were in the city proper, or were you in... Uh, like the suburbs or a rural area? Where I grew up? Yeah. Uh, sort of on the fringe of the city. What were you interested in when you were, when you were young and you were growing up? Uh, history. Oh, yeah? You have two history teachers here with you, actually. Beg your pardon? We're both history teachers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, how come, or, or did you, did you pursue something in, in the history field or in the education field? Did I, what was the third word? Did you pursue something in that, perceive, in that field? Perceive something in uh, that field. Pursue something in that field. Like, did you, did you go to school to be an historian? 
Uh, yeah, that was my major in college. Uh, at first, anyway, it kind of gradually shifted over towards more towards anthropology by the oh. time I graduated. And did you go to school in Michigan as well? I started off in Detroit, and I ended up in Chapel Hill at UNC. Ah, down here. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you were young, did you have any particular influence that set you along this path? Uh, we used to go and visit a really nice garden there that I always enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, but no, not too much. So when was it that you decided to start the Mountain Gardens here? Well, uh, after I graduated from college, I joined the Peace Corps, uh, oh. partly because the alternative was to get drafted into the Army, but partly just because I, I might have joined the Peace Corps anyway. I, I was tired of being in school. I wasn't ready to just go on to graduate school, and so I was looking for something different to do. So I went over in the Peace Corps and lived with some fairly primitive people, tribal people along a river, and I think that fundamentally changed my attitude about uh, living on Earth, you know, just seeing, particularly coming home and seeing how much stuff we have in America hmm. versus the relatively simple lives that those people were living and they were probably happier and healthier than anybody around here. So I think that had a, an effect on my thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. So I came home thinking about going to graduate school to become an anthropologist and go back and study these people and then I decided I just wanted to live like them. Hmm. Where were you uh, stationed when you were in the Peace Corps? And uh, it's called Sarawak or East Malaysia. Yeah, yeah, I've been in Borneo. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's very cool. Um, there's a lot of research on that now, where uh, folks are writing about returning to um, a way of life that that more of us lived and some of our ancestors here. It sounds like you were maybe a bit ahead of the curve in that thinking, or was there much literature out uh, about that sort of thing at the time? Well, it was the, you know, that was the whole hippie back to the land, whole earth catalog, mother earth news. That was all going on. And then there was a lot of... Uh, literature in the uh, anthropological literature about hunter-gatherers. Yeah. You know, the original affluent society and stuff like that, Stone Age economics. Uh, a lot of that affected me, my thinking. Hmm. When was it that uh, you purchased this land here or you came upon this land? I think it was 1972. Wow, quite a while. Mm-hmm. And... At the time, this was all just... It was just, woods. Yeah. Yeah. It was grown back up. It had been logged, uh, I don't know, maybe in the 50s, and so it had all grown back up in little six to eight-inch poplars growing off the stump. Yeah. Hmm. Did you build this house? With help. Yeah. Were you initially living here by yourself? Uh, when I first moved here, I had a partner. 
And then after a while, she left, and then I had, was here by myself various periods of time and here with other another person various other periods of time. Hmm. Initially, did you know that you would want it to become what it has become, or did you just want to, to live here like in a subsistence sort of way for no, yourself? I didn't know what it was going to turn into. I just knew I was going to spend my life making a garden. Hmm. Can you talk about the the concept of paradise gardening? Well, the idea is uh, to try and address all the problems that we face, which I uh, organize as uh, planetary, uh, social, and personal. And so the idea is to find a way to live on Earth that's going to be uh, sustainable for the planet, you know, increasing, if not, or at least not decreasing the fertility and the diversity. And that's going to be best for our species, meaning eliminating the reasons why we have war, which is basically unequal distribution of resources. So the whole idea is to live on what seems like a appropriate share for a person to have of the Earth's resources starting with the amount of land you got and then working your way up from that. And then on a personal level, I'm looking for health and happiness. So I figure if you can find a way to live and a place to live where you can maximize all three of those, then mm. I'm calling that paradise. In a different way, uh, I call a paradise garden a botanical garden of useful plants grown ecologically and arranged ornamentally, which covers a bunch of bases. Uh, or I could say it's making a garden where everything you need is there for the taking. That's another nice phrase I like to use sometimes. Hmm. Do you grow everything you eat or do you still buy stuff? Pardon me? Do you grow everything that you eat? No, not yet. No. Still not. We still haven't really got to the point of growing our like staple crops. Hmm. Keep hoping. That we will get there. I was hoping this year we might get there. Would we grow most of all of our vegetables and f fruit and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, other needs, plants for other needs as well. Would stable crop be like wheat, corn? No, well, we'll experiment with all of them. Probably not wheat. Uh, corn is good and uh, potatoes oh, would be okay. another big one. And other root crops. There's a lot of perennial root crops. So we probably at this point have enough land to do everything I want to do. It's just at this point a shortage of personnel. I'm a bit unfamiliar with uh, the seasons here. We're from up in in New York, but is there is are the winters particularly cold here, and do you have to plan accordingly for that? It used to every year get to probably 10 below zero, but it's been at least 10 years since it's gotten to zero. It's definitely moderating as the years go by. Mm. Do you can anything for that? For the, Pardon me? Do you can anything or uh, preserve Not anything? Currently, I did a lot when I first moved here. did all kinds of canning and pickles and all that stuff. I actually grew more of my own food when I very first started than I do nowadays because I kind of got distracted into this whole medicinal herb thing mm. and, and uh, the whole botanical garden part of it. So I let the personal thing kind of slide. But 
No, it's my main goal is to, to get that back. How, uh, how did you go about becoming educated about the plants and, and the medicinal properties? And I, I saw that um, you know a lot about like, Chinese medicines and Eastern medicines. Like, how did you learn all that? From books. You self-taught? Yeah, pretty much. I also have gone to some workshops. I saw my plants at an event called Medicines for the Earth, so I get to go to a lot of workshops there. And then I ended up teaching for a while at a, a Chinese medicine school. I taught medical botany and herbal preparations, so I learned a lot in the course of working there. But I'd say the, the vast bulk of it is just by reading. I have a large library. Ah. Are you able then to avoid you know, having to go to the doctor or anything like that? Well, I have been all the way up until very recently. Mm. Yeah. Um, how has the uh, the pandemic affected how things run here? Well, we used to teach a lot of workshops. That was a source of income, uh, plant walks and stuff, and we stopped doing all that. I used to make a lot of money at an event called the Asheville Herb Festival, which was canceled. Mm. And then this Medicines for the Earth event where I also sold my plants. Those are the two places where I would actually take my plants to sell. That was canceled as well. So, but probably the bigger problem is just that I didn't have as much help as I need mm. or as good quality help as I need. Um, the whole group of apprentices that was here last March left as soon as the COVID thing hit struck and uh, took me quite a while to reassemble. So traditionally, every year you would have a certain amount of apprentices stay here and work in the garden? Yeah. Six or seven, and then there's usually a couple of short-term people as well. Do they come from all over? Yep. Wow, that's really cool. How does someone become an apprentice here? Do, your how does someone become an apprentice here? Do they apply online? Yeah. There's a page on my uh, website called Apprentice Ships, and it just says, send me a letter about your educational experience, your work experience, your skill set, and why you want to come here. That's, that's mm -hmm. most of it. How does the, I guess, program, or, or how does it work with your uh, tinctures and herbs like we passed a, a house down towards the road with all these like can people just come up and 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 leave money yeah, and take self service yep. wow do people come every day uh not necessarily every day but there's a few people a week and they that's been my main source of income mm. it's that little shed down there it's uh like a sliding scale or no, it's $15 a bottle. I mean, if somebody's super hard up, they're welcome to okay, I see. tell me their story. Do some kind of barter or something. Nobody's asked yet. And people will come and kind of like self-diagnose? Like you don't actually give a diagnosis to people. If, yeah. Wow. Um, I was thinking that that sort of system would maybe... 
the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies might not look at that as, you know, advantageous to them, right? Like, I was wondering if you've ever received any sort of resistance for doing what you do. No, I fly very low. Hmm. I don't advertise my stuff online. I don't try and put my stuff in shops. I'm just kind of here. Hmm. But people hear about me. It's uh, There's a lot of... Uh, alternative stuff happening in this valley. Yeah, it's interesting because I was thinking about, well, as we were walking up, I was thinking that, wow, this is extraordinary. But at the same time, that's it's a little bit strange to say that because in some ways what you're doing is ordinary. If you think about the, the history of human beings, and I was thinking of the analogy to like, I do a lot of episodes about the food industry and foraging is something that's become quite popular with chefs, but that's not a novel concept. That's what we did for the majority of time that we were human beings. Um, so I was wondering if this, if this feels like something extraordinary to you or if it just feels like, well, yeah, this is what we should be doing. Uh, both. Hmm. Like, yeah, this is what we should be doing. And unfortunately, not very many people are. Actually, one hopes uh, there will be more. I mean, the whole purpose of this is to kind of be an example for people because most people are not aware that there's a way to live on Earth without money, like just getting a job, you know, and filling all your needs with the money that you make from doing the same thing all day long, mm. which, if you're lucky, might be something you enjoy doing. Not all that many people are all that lucky. Yeah, when was the last time that you had to, you know, do like a nine to five? Oh, maybe right when I got home from the Peace Corps, I worked at a bookstore for a little while that specialized in Southeast Asia. And it was that's while I, while I was thinking about going back to graduate school. So I did that for maybe not quite two years. Hmm. I guess... I just have to wonder, circumstance is a big part of it, right? Where if you are coming from really low income and a low socioeconomic status, where you don't have any type of monetary needs or collateral even to buy land to get yourself onto the path of living this way. That's certainly a big issue. Right. So I guess what advice would you have for people who maybe want to live more sustainably but aren't in a position to do so? Uh, just get out there and start uh, apprenticing on different places and keep your ears open and hope something will come along. I'm looking for people to inherit this place. Mm. I'm hoping to turn it over the ownership of it in the next few years to a group of people either A, living here or B, my neighbors. Because uh, I don't have anyone else to pass it on to. So somebody's going to get lucky. So get out there and get yourself in a position to get lucky. Mm. Um, the other thing I would say is people should be being more collective. Somebody needs to get on there and take all this dating software and reapply it so that people can use it to find other like-minded people to group together and buy land. Because that's the only way you're going to get land reasonably is with being part of a group. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, I had somebody on the podcast about a week and a half ago named Ron Whitehead in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And he's a poet, 
and he's been a poet for quite some time. And I think he he has maybe a similar vision for the way that we interact with each other and for life. And that's one sort of rooted in love and non-consumerism and uh, away from uh, materialism and, and war and all of the things that have come to sort of characterize society. And, you know, I talked to him and, and he used to run with, with like the beats, with, uh, with uh, Burroughs and uh, Kerouac. And I said, some of the things that you were fighting for back then are the same now. And, and I wonder like if you feel, if you feel hopeful at all that more people would sort of follow this type of a lifestyle and, and return to our, our roots kind of. Well, I'm certainly hopeful. Yeah, no, there's, there's a small flood of people moving into this county. I don't know what's going on in other places of people that just want to get a little piece of land and grow food. Uh, I don't think any of them are quite as solid as I am about not wanting. I mean, I think they're all looking for a way to make money, basically. Yeah. They all think that's their number one issue is figure out how they're going to make their money. Uh, but, you know, to start, they're definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah. When you when you first came out here and started this up, um, you know, what was the reaction of like friends and, and family and did they come to visit at all? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think my family, they're the ones that lent me the money to buy the place. Huh. I think they were dubious, but uh, mm. gradually convinced. <laughs> that was, like I said, that was the or mid Early 70s, that was like Holder's Catalog and Mother's News. It was, it was, uh, there was a lot of people moving back to the land. And then there came a little recession and three-quarters of them went back to the city because their parents had been nagging them all along, get a job, when are you going to grow up and get a job? <laughs> and so most of them succumbed. So we lost a whole generation. Uh, like... Let's maybe trying to start up again now. If it had started up in the 70s, we might not be in the huge mess we're in right now. We lost a whole generation of... I mean, nobody had heard of global warming when I bought this land. There was a lot of people running around spreading charcoal on the ground because of the coming ice age. Mm. <laughs> so... How closely do you pay attention to, to politics? I don't know. I listen to the news pretty often. Hmm. I was wondering, though, like how, I don't know, like how much of the decisions that get made at the top level, you know, reach you here or, or affect you here? Uh, well, I suppose a lot of them do, you know, in an overall kind of way. Uh uh, certainly President Trump made a lot of decisions <laughs> that have affected me. He let the virus get fucking out of hand, which didn't yeah. need to happen, so I lost all my source of income for years. So, the, yeah, I guess that affected me. Yeah. Or even something like having universal health care, if that was obtainable or accessible, that could be a motivating factor for people to not hold on to job security, right, or move into a lifestyle in this way because you're so dependent on having a big employer to provide health care for you. Mm -hmm. Right. 
I mean, I've never had any health insurance, although now I'm old enough that I got onto Medicare, but I never use it for anything. I, uh, I'm try my utmost to avoid, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, the medical establishment in general. Yeah, on the on the reverse or uh, on the flip side of resistance, has like North Carolina's government taken an interest at all in in trying to provide assistance or help so that you know more people can hear about you or you get more resources for your program I don't know I, uh, has the government done that no no I try as hard as I can not to let the government know I exist yeah <laughs> hmm. so are you constantly like adding to the, the plants that you have here and to, to your knowledge base so that it, it continues to grow? Yep. Mm. Oh, I ordered a, a lot of plants this spring. A really lot. I hope they're going to really give me this $1,400 because I already spent it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I spent it all on plants, pretty much. Well, there was some books and some tools. Books, tools, and plants are the three things that I'm okay spending money on. Mm. Is there somewhere nearby where you get most of that stuff? Pardon me? Is there somewhere local that you get most of that stuff? No. No? No, it's pretty much all going to be through the mail. Oh, okay. Do you have any particular stance on, um, I guess, what plants that we classify as drugs, like marijuana or psilocybin or anything like that? What about them? Do you have any particular stance on like their their potential usefulness or or lack of, of use? Oh, I think they're super important. Yeah, I think everybody recognizes that now, don't they? Well, <laughs> some people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if somebody wants to get involved here and help out, I know things are starting to open up more in North Carolina. Back in New York, where we're from, things are opening up a lot more than, than we've seen here, uh, just because I think of the you know, proximity to the vaccine that we have. But if people want to learn more, get involved, or come here, uh, how do they go about doing that? Well, like I said, they could uh, look at the website, and it tells what's going on here. And then we do accept short-term people, two to three weeks, woofers and workawayers and that kind of thing. Uh, and which is, uh, I think we're probably booked up for the next couple of months, but there's probably oh. openings later in the summer. And then that could or could not lead on to doing being an apprentice, which is more like a March to October commitment. And you actually get a house to live in or a shelter, I should say. Hmm. The short-term people are generally tenting. We have a lot of campsites. Wow. So that's an option. Gardens are open. People can stop by and visit anytime they want. Walk around. The buildings are closed at present. We'll see. Things might get to the point where we feel comfortable opening everything up again. Okay. Well, I think we'll probably take a look around the grounds too. So, um, yeah, thank you for having us here. And thanks for, for the time today, Joe. This is all uh, really fascinating to me. So thank you. Sure. You're welcome. Cool. Hey, everyone, that is a wrap on episode 216 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you so much to Joe 
and the lovely folks that we met at Mountain Gardens for showing us around, giving us information, and really making the day a memorable one for us. Thanks to Les for participating in these while we travel and for the great questions. And thanks to all of you Voyagers, as always, for tuning in. It's always a big help if you can spread the word, uh, rate and review, leave a comment, subscribe, all that good stuff to keep the exposure for the podcast going. Lots more coming after this one. So thanks for tuning in. Catch you very soon. And as always, please, please, please take care of each other.